Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host, and the Small Groups Pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, have you ever wished that there was a miracle formula for Small Groups Ministry? Kind of like a silver bullet that would guarantee that everyone in your church would be in a biblical Acts 2 kind of small group, where people would grow to love God deeply, where lives would be radically transformed, relationships would be made whole, the marginalized would be served, and non-Christians all around people would come to faith every day, and the numbers would just be multiplied. And there's just this one magic formula for that. Um, well, I have. I've dreamed about this. Um, so on the program today, guess what? We're going to talk about silver bullets, uh, which, of course, is a metaphor for easy, simple, quick fixes for tough problems. And with me on the program is Daniel M., and he's going to tell us the magic silver bullet for small groups ministry. Right, Daniel? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, welcome to the program, and thank you for being with us. I'm kidding, of course, because it's anyone who's been in ministry for longer than a day knows that there are no quick fixes. Yes. Um, and in fact, Daniel wrote a terrific new book called No Silver Bullets. Gosh, Daniel, I wish you had called it Silver Bullet. It would have sold a lot more, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Well, someone actually, you know, they're like, I'm disappointed. I was looking for the silver, <laughs> the silver bullet. <laughs> I know. Maybe the no should have been like big lights or something. Um, Maybe, yeah. But it's a great a great title and a terrific book in which um, Daniel lays out five micro shifts that can produce macro changes um, that moves your ministry in the lasting and right direction. Um, and it's really about movement and making these little tweaks that are really impactful. And so before we dive in, let me tell you a little bit about Daniel. Um, Daniel M. is the Director of Church Multiplication for NewChurches.com and Lifeway Christian Resources since 2014. He serves as a teaching pastor at The Fellowship, which is a multi-site church in Nashville, Tennessee. He also co-authored uh, Planting Missional Churches with Ed Stetzer, and he has a Master's in Global Leadership and has served and pastored in three countries, six cities, and churches ranging from 100 to 50,000. I think you maybe have the most diverse uh, ministry experience of anyone I've had on the program. Not not intentionally. I didn't have some master plan. It's just, you know, my wife and I, we've been married for 11 years now and three kids and our prayer has always been, you know, from the moment we met, Lord, here we are. So we just kind of put one foot in front of the other and allow the Lord to lead. So it's, it's neat to see how he's kind of guided us along these years. Yeah. And Daniel has a background in groups ministry. And so um, and yes, I love group talk. I love groups <laughs> ministry. Carolyn, yes. you're the best. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Daniel and I obviously know each other. Uh, we yeah. met a num- uh, several years ago when he was a groups pastor at a growing church in Edmonton, Canada. And he's a Korean Canadian, and I'm a Korean American. And so it was really cool for us to kind of connect on that level as well. And he understands yeah. the unique challenges of small groups ministry um, in the small church, as well as just a huge multi-site environment. And he's going to help us apply some of these principles. And in fact, 
I reached out to Daniel because I got the book and I started thinking about how these principles are so applicable in small groups ministry. And I started thinking about what that would mean for me and kind of working that through. And I thought this would be great for us to unpack together. Um, so Daniel, let's start here. I know I set you up kind of badly by saying that no, it's great. no silver bullet. Um, <laughs> But I, I want to tap into how, why do we have such a desire for that? Why do I keep looking for it, hoping for it, and getting disappointed when it doesn't deliver? We're impatient. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I mean, think about it, right? If, if you, if you want to listen to an audiobook, you download it right away. Mm-hmm. If you want bananas or something from the grocery store, you can like order it on Prime now and get it within a couple hours. True. You know, I'm talking about like, it's just everything is instant. Everything is super fast. And with us just being constantly distracted, naturally what happens is it's like we just we're so scatterbrained that we're like, oh, I have so many things that I need to address. And once again, right. Sunday, you know, relentlessly comes around <laughs> every single week. Right. So whether you're preaching or you're organizing training for your volunteers or coaching or every whatever you do. Sunday always comes around, midweek always comes around, studies always come around. So it's one of those things where it's like, hey, do you really have time? Do I really have time to reassess this? I just want to do what that church down the road is doing. I just want to do what Carolyn's done, honestly. And that would be a mistake. Carolyn, <laughs> it only works Carolyn, in our context. <laughs> if Carolyn has done it, then it's going to work in my context, right? So so we do this, right? And because it's just, that's that's kind of our culture. It's kind of our mm-hmm. de facto we just want to copy, you know, we'll never, we'll never say we're copying, right? Right. We, we say we are contextualizing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or I heard, you know, you say, I heard it once said, someone once said, it's now your idea. But once again, it's just, I mean, it's this desire that we have, we're conditioned for the now. And that's, that's why we look for the silver bullets and go and buy the books and go and to go to the conferences and go and do all that. Because we think that'll actually be faster than doing the hard work of really looking at our church and how we lead. Right. And um, you have a, a framework in your book with four different types of churches. If you just run through that real quick, just to give us a foundation, because I thought that was insightful um, and a little convicting. Yeah. So the first, the first quadrant is your classic copycat type of church. Right, so your copycat type of church; those are the ones that see discipleship as a destination. They see it as, "Hey, you got to do these classes, or do these, uh, go going through these studies, or get through these marks, or be baptized, or do this or that." And then you know you go through and you get to a destination, and you're discipled. And they they also see they have a low sense of cultural accountability. Right. So it's like they're going to implement a new a new idea, and then they're going to switch it three months later or a year later when it doesn't work. So it's always copycatting. Well, you take that to the extreme end of saying, hey, what if what if the church is like a silver bullet church and they have a high level of accountability, still destination-minded when it comes to discipleship? They would be that silver bullet church. They would be kind of that de facto church where you're like, wow, newcomers are getting integrated. Uh, people are in groups. You know, high percentage of the congregation is in groups. That all you sounds know, great. Just, yeah, I mean, they're giving, the groups are serving, right? It's like all those outward metrics that we typically measure, looking good, great. The problem is their metrics are wrong because we know that you can be, you can attend group, give, serve, sure. and still be a Pharisee and still have a hard heart, right? Right, And not be maturing and not be walking towards Christ. But you have all the outward behaviors down. Okay. 
right? So now take a look at what if what if instead of seeing disi- discipleship from a destination mindset, you saw it from a directional mindset, right? So Eugene Peterson, you know, long right. obedience in the same direction, Hebrews 12, Philippians, and, you know, just talking about, hey, running the race of faith with perseverance, and, you know, I've not given up. So, you know, that's that idea of, hey, it really is, I mean, it's it's a direction more than a destination, maturing towards Christ. Well, if you have a low accountability culture, but you you see discipleship from a directional lens, you're a hippie church, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're a hippie church because it's really, oh, what works for you is good for you. What works for me is good for me. And, you know, you just do whatever you want to do as long as we're kind of journeying towards Christ. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's this, it's this, it's this sense of, you know, there are no metrics, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the high accountability culture that's directional, that has a directional view of discipleship, and that's an intentional church. So, from the outside, a silver bullet and an intentional church may look very similar, but the metrics that they use to measure discipleship and fruitfulness, mm-hmm. they're completely different. Yeah, and right? I think and that's that's the research that I, I talk about in the book. Right. Okay. So those two are just probably where we're going to land because the copycat one, the hippie one, it's obvious what's problematic. The challenge, I think, mostly, especially in in um, Western evangelical churches, is going to be between what you've labeled as a silver bullet church and an intentional church, and we're going to unpack yes. that as it relates to small groups ministry. Um, as we dive into the first one, though, I wanted to just say, you know, I'm a data nerd and I so appreciate books that are based on research mm-hmm. rather than theory and just philosophical, you know, ivory tower stuff. You've lived this. You've packed a lot of research into the, your book. I mean, Lifeway is known for being research-based and application-driven. Um, so I was curious, like, what, Daniel, what are some pieces of research that kind of moved you to develop these concepts or made you want to put this down on paper for the church? So this this book was really birthed uh, when we first met. Uh, it was it was probably about a year before we first met years ago, and it was when I was still pastoring in a local church and overseeing the adult ministry, so groups ministry, adult ministry at the church, and and I was really trying to figure out, okay, how do we do a discipleship? How do we create a discipleship pathway? But knowing what I know about adult education. And the mm-hmm. fact of, hey, adults don't learn like children. There's and there's pedagogy, but there's also a field called andragogy, right? In light of all that, and in light of the fact that, hey, before I became a pastor, I was doing pre-med in college, and <laughs> I did I did biology, calculus, all that stuff. I passed calculus. I don't remember a thing about <laughs> calculus. But you look at my transcript, it looks like I'm competent, but I, what, I'm not. Right. And (laughs) adults don't learn. We don't learn just to store up to use later. Right. Right. We we are we're most attentive. We are most we will retain the most when it's immediately applicable. Right. So just in light of all that stuff, I was like, oh, it's not just it's not just taking a program from this church or doing this. And because I had pastored in a few different places, I was like, it's you know, I mean, you can't there's no silver bullet. Right. (laughs) So I was like, so so there must be research when it comes to maturity. Right. Right. So I discovered this Lifeway that Lifeway did a transformational discipleship assessment research. Mm-hmm. Right. Two long, you know, one longitudinal study built on another one where it was like four thousand Protestant lady in U.S. and Canada, a thousand Protestant pastors, twenty plus expert interviews, and just a ton of data. Right. And and they unveiled eight attributes for a disciple, kind of like. And that's what's in marks. that's what's in um, Geiger's book, right? Transformational discipleship. Exactly, exactly. So I had that. 
I took the assessment. I saw it online, and that's been out since like 2011-ish. It's a great book. Uh, and then, yeah, it really is. And they outlined those eight attributes for what a disciple looks like. Now, I was like, I took that as a pastor. I didn't know Eric Geiger or any of those guys, and I was just trying to think through. I was like, man, but there must be, there, there, there must be something deeper here. Like, there must be like, they're in the research because you can't preach eight weeks. And you can't, no matter how beautifully you print this on a card and give it to all your small group leaders, they're just not going to remember eight things. Right. Right? True. I mean, Carolyn, you might remember eight things. Uh, but no. I, I'm too old for that. No. <laughs> right? So so in light of that, it's just, so I was thinking, I was like, oh, okay, is it this? Is it this? Well, you know, God, you know, God would so have it that I end up moving down to Nashville and start working at Lifeway. <laughs> and I start working on this book. I, I kind of pick it back up and I go to, like, go to Lifeway Research and I'm like, guys, can I, can I ask you some questions? Is there something deeper here in the research that's not been published not been not been written on. I mean, because there's so much data that you guys have. Is there like are there like one or two things that you can focus on that'll actually increase all eight kind of you know keystone habit, vital behaviors, eighty twenty rule, Pareto principle? Is there something like that? Does something like that exist? And they're like, oh yeah, totally. It's called <laughs> the it's called regression analysis. Oh, you know great. I remember moment, that from Carolyn, stats. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know that moment, Carolyn, when someone says something and you don't want to look like an idiot, so you just smile and nod your head? <laughs> yes. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, regression analysis. But just to make sure that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> tell me. Tell me you, what that is. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And, and so ensued the conversation. Oh, but cool. it was fascinating to learn the regression analysis, all the connections, all the mm. connections that they just, that just wasn't written on in that book that they just, that the research department just didn't have time to tease out. And I was like, can I, can I write on this? And they're like, yeah, here you go. A bum. Right. Wow. Well, that's <laughs> so right. it was cool to have that and yeah. to be able to really lean on them for their expertise sure. uh, as researchers. And for me as a practitioner and be like, okay, what is, so what is this? How do I make this palatable? Right, just for someone like me, just for an average local church pastor. So, well, on this this topic, of course, is always timely. How do we do discipleship? How do we do it in small groups? Um, but just this week, uh, someone had posted on our small group Facebook um, group page, and if you're not on that, you you know our listeners, I highly recommend. There's so much interaction, and it's so great. Um, a really supportive community. Anyway, someone had just posted, um, and we probably get one of these every month, where someone from some other part of the country or the world will say, "I'm." trying to figure out discipleship through small groups. What pathway have you found? What have you done? And then you have a lot of people kind of, you know, following the thread and commenting because this is where the rubber meets the road for us. If it's not mm-hmm. about discipleship, why are we even in small groups ministry, right? So it, it's con- it's a constant topic that we keep chipping away at. And so let's let's chip away with these five micro shifts that you've identified. Um, shift one, you talk about, you've already kind of touched on the destination to direction. Um, tell us now with that, what um, what's something that small groups ministries can do to move from a kind of more linear goal oriented thing to a directional trajectory kind of model? Yeah. So the big thing with this is, um, I mean, we've we've we outlined the quadrant. So I think in order to do this shift, it's really a matter of saying, okay, hey, you know what? The people in my small group, the people in my church, they're not widgets. <laughs> right? It's not a program. Yes, if you treat them like widgets, you're already in trouble. <laughs> exactly. It's not an app. It's not a do this, 
get them through this get them just just get them in a small group just get them in a small group get them in a small group and then they're gonna be good no that's that's not how discipleship happens right right good discipleship is directional it's not destination oriented but in order to implement that first shift uh that's where that second shift and the research that we were kind of referencing gets in it's just the difference between input and output goals Yes. Okay. So the input output goals, this one's huge. Um, so at the risk of, you know, being like a you in that research room, I think I yeah. know what that means. And I read the book, so I do know what, what you mean, but would you kind of summarize what you mean by that? Cause I think this one is really important for small groups ministries. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to how, how does discipleship happen, right? You have a question like that. You're like, it's not a one answer thing. Right. And the same, same about goals. I think a lot of times we think a goal is a goal. A metric is a metric. But actually, we need to delineate, hey, there are input goals and there are output goals. And our understanding, our, our nuanced understanding of the two is actually going to help us move people towards maturity. Right. So the easiest way to understand the difference is dieting. Right. Because we've all... <laughs> At one point in our life, you know, dieted, if not, we're doing it now, right? And and there are four ways that we diet. The first way that we diet is we say, I want to lose weight, right? And we just say, I want to lose weight. Uh, you may have a goal, you may not have a goal, but you just kind of say, I want to lose weight, no goals, no plan, no vision, just a lot of hard work. It doesn't work, right? The yeah. <laughs> second way to lose weight is to have a clear output goal. Like, I want to lose 10 pounds, uh, before uh, going to uh, vac- going on vacation in two months, so ten pounds in sixty days, right? So we have that in mind. We're like, that's what we want to do. So we eat a salad for lunch. <laughs> but then everyone's having ribs for dinner, right? Well, and you are like, in Nashville, so yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And you ate salad for lunch, so you can eat ribs for dinner. Just don't eat breakfast in the morning, right? And then you can eat pokey for lunch, <laughs> and then you can, you know, what I'm talking about? like we justify. And we're like, somehow eating salad once every three days (laughs) will somehow lose 10 pounds in 60 days. Well, that doesn't work either. So those are both output goal-oriented ways of doing disciples. You have a clear metric, a clear goal that you're trying to get. Well, the third way is to to have an input goal. So you can say, okay, what can I do today? You know, input goals are the things that you can do today, the levers you can pull today to influence the outputs for tomorrow. So you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to monitor my calorie intake. I'm going to, I'm going to exercise regularly and, and you do it a little haphazardly, but you can do that really well and still not lose weight because you're just eating more. You're exercising a lot because you're burning calories. You're just eating more. So you just kind of go net neutral, right? That's what I do. I mean, I was going to say, I, was gonna, I think that's me, but okay. Yeah, yeah. I, the only reason I exercise is so I could eat. Yes, there you, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so it's not losing weight. So the only surefire way to lose weight is to say, okay, if I want to lose 10 pounds at the end of 60 days, you know, there are calculators online, free ones that do it, where you put in your weight, your height, your age, and it says, okay, you should be intaking 1,700 calories a day, right? Or 1,600 calories a day. So then you have your clear output goal, right? Not 10 pounds, right. but it's a clear output goal of 1,700 calories. And then what your inputs are, okay, the amount you eat, the exercise, the moving, you know, counting your steps, all that stuff, you just got to make sure that's your net by the end of the day, end of the day, and then in two months you're gonna you're gonna win that. So the reason I explain it using dieting is because when it comes to discipleship, yeah, most of us our only output goal is uh, whatever we look like. This is true. 
Right. So however way we're defining what a mature disciple looks like ends up being our output goal. So whether that's, you know, they're studying, reading the Bible every day or they're, um, you know, having converse, spiritual conversations or they're giving money or well, those are all output goals, right? Exactly. Right. And silver bullet churches are really good at setting output goals like that. Right. And they can be helpful. I'm not saying they're bad. Right. Giving is a, you know, it it does tell you Mm -hmm. something, you know, serving tells you something. Group participation tells you something. It does. But but uh, the beauty of the research, they're actually able to say, okay, here are the eight output goals. Right. The eight attributes from the research. Well, what are input goals? Right. So here's an example of the connection. Confessing your sins. Now, I know you read the book, Carolyn, but don't, you know, just think before you read the book. (laughs) When you confessed your sins or you see your children confessing your sins or those you're discipling confessing their sins, what kind of fruit do they naturally think would result in their life just by confessing their sins? That they would experience experience freedom, that they yeah. would uh, be drawn to loving God more, being thankful for forgiveness, yeah. a reconciled relationship. Yeah, completely, right? And we see that, we say that because I've seen it in my life, right? I see it in those mm-hmm. that I disciple. And But the beauty of the research is that they, they discovered that those who did the input goal of confessing their sins, so they, that's something they could do on a daily basis or in the worship service or whatnot, those who confess their sins were more likely to share their faith than those who didn't. So it connected the input with the output. Yeah, yeah. And there's a connection now. So what, what do we do when we want to help our small groups be missional or we want to help our small groups learn how to, you know, those in our small groups evangelize? Right. We don't tell them. We don't have a group confess. We don't have a, you know, <laughs> a confessing our sins time. Right. We say, here's, here's a study. On, right, yeah, that'll, help, on that'll, that'll show us how to lead people to Christ. Here's the bridge analogy. Here's the three circles. Here's the four spiritual laws. Or here's, you know, we do that kind of thing. And, you know, here's the BLESS acronym. Or here, you know, we do these things, but we never, because we, we don't see that apparent tie between confessing and, mm-hmm. and evangelism. But that exists, that was dug out of the research. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, so let's take another one for an output goal, right? So yeah. uh, maybe this also ties with the destination direction. So there are churches that think, okay, yeah, if you just get them in a small group, they'll automatically be discipled because just being around the Word of God is enough. Yeah. So, okay, so being around the Word of God would be an output goal. Would that be an input? Because they're, they're around it, and the output would be we want God's Word to actually be lived out in their lives. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so you know, on that note, an output, a clear output goal would be, you know, it would be something like uh, building relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be something like uh, Bible engagement. You know, things that you would do in a small group. Right. So right. that's a good uh, thing. So you want Bible engagement to be checked off as something you do in a small group. Exactly. But that by itself, you're saying, isn't necessarily going to result in um, loving God's word more. <laughs> Exactly. It's not. It's not. Right? There's a difference between faithfulness and fruitfulness. Okay. Right? Right? A huge difference. So, you look at 1 Corinthians 3 and you're like, oh, okay, you know, Paul watered, Apollos planted, you know, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God's the one who gave the growth, which I know all your, um, you know, your entire community is is well aware of that passage. Uh, But even in light of that, you think, okay, what can we do because there's still things that we need to do, right? Input goals that we need to do mm-hmm. that will result in maturity. But sometimes what we do is we do what we've 
been taught or right. we do what has been discipled to us, which may actually be maturing us in a lopsided way. I mean, think about it. Why is it that there are some people who love sharing their faith and there are other people who hate it? Because they're gifted? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, some may have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to be evangelists, sure. do, do the sure. work of evangelists, right? But but it's this lopsided faith, right? It's this lopsided aspect of maturity. Well, so I, I think that that shows up even more. Um, okay, when you talk about shift three, which is from sage to guide, I found that interesting because um, it is how we've also been discipled. It's how we all, I think we all have mental models of what we think is going to work. And, yeah. and they're very biased by how we're wired and what yeah. works for us. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting, we have to almost get outside of ourselves and look at it more objectively, uh, which is why the book is kind of helpful because you're kind of going, oh, okay. So for example, on the Sage to Guide, I love the section you talked about flipping the training model. Tell us yeah. what you mean by that and how that, what that would look like in a small group context. Yeah. So in a small, so really quickly, flipping the classroom. It's this notion that's sweeping, you know, America, many parts of the world. Kind of was birthed when YouTube was birthed because sure. there's no easy way to upload videos before that or free way to do that. And it's basically the idea of hey, instead of sitting in a class listening to the teacher talk and then going home and doing homework. I mean, my both my parents worked as immigrants. Uh, my sisters didn't want to help me in homework. Uh, so my parents decided to, I was kind of like the bratty little brother. Uh, and so my parents had to hire a tutor, right? So I either had to ask my friends, copy what my friends did, or a tutor would help me because no one else was going to help me. The flipping the classroom approach and Hey, and I have two parents, right? And, and yes, they weren't there to help, but at least I had two parents. Well, just think about the number of families that aren't like that. Right. And where a parent, single parent has to do double shifts, mm-hmm. I mean, just to pay for health care, right? Just to <laughs> right. do this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's just this, so inner city, you know, a lot of these areas are just, you know, students are failing. There's a lot of systemic issues. So the whole flipping the classroom is actually what's happening is the lesson, the student watches the lesson at home. So it's either via YouTube or some sort of video or, you know, if they get the lesson, they can fast forward. If they don't, they can rewind. Mm-hmm. They do some sort of comprehension, you know, saying that they, they've done it. And then when they get to class, that's where, right. right, in the class is where they can actually do group projects. If they don't get it, mm-hmm. the teacher can help because the parents can't anymore. Right. Right. And the teacher. And so there's, it's just flipping, right? So for the last five or so years, I've been doing this in, in for leadership development, right? To train volunteers, to uh, develop leaders. Where yes, hey, here's our small group leaders development development training Saturday morning. You know, here's a video for you guys all to watch. Here's training, ongoing training or whatnot to watch. And then when we get together, uh, let's actually do more processing or case studies or, or do that kind of stuff. Yeah, right? so is, I've been doing yeah. that a lot, Carolyn. And in the book, I talk a lot about it. Uh, in the sense of leadership development, but for for group talk specifically, uh, I've been actually testing this uh, with my small group. So not just with our small oh, group. Okay. Leaders. I've been testing it with my small group. Huh. Okay. So this is where it's our it's our we're in our second study doing this, mm-hmm. right? And I know you had Chris Surratt on, uh, who you back, know, yeah. probably talked about smallgroup.com, and so yes. we actually use that platform because everyone can watch the video at home. Mm-hmm. Right, because that was the thing with me is I would bring the DVD series or we would do right. and 
you know, we would all watch together 30 minutes and then we just wouldn't have much time to talk and pray. Yes, that's yes. a problem with the video curriculum, yeah. It is. So then, then I would do, you know, then I would do non-video curriculum, but sure. people like video occasionally. So basically leveraging a platform like smallgroup.com, everyone just watched it at home. Mm-hmm. Right. I sent it out. They all watched it at home. And when we got together, that's when we would actually discuss the, the study and pray. And did you so find the discussion having, was richer? Oh, so I was worried that people wouldn't watch. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, and I was a little uh, hesitant as to like, oh, should I ask if they watch? Should I not? <laughs> you don't want to be I the police. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? I asked one time. We actually, in our small group, we, um, we, I, we rotate ho- hosting and we rotate leadership. So the, whoever's facilitating, everyone actually asks, now, have you watched? And everyone on our Facebook group that says, hey, we're hosting this week, be sure to watch. So it's like, high I'm accountability. Not, yeah. I am not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. The ownership's cool. But what's neat is instead of having 20 minutes to discuss and pray, we now have an hour to discuss and pray. Wow. Because okay. the video is not there. Anyway, so I, that's I've only done two studies this way, so the jury's still great, out, but I'm liking yeah, it. Yeah, that's a great thing to experiment with. Um, and there is a trend towards, I mean, even on the leadership development side, I, that's what caught my attention to do it. We just had a leadership um, development day for small group leaders, and I thought, oh, this is an interesting way to do it, to give them the material first and then give them the time to process it together. And I think yeah. some of our, our people, they would catch it more if that were to happen. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's move on to shift number four is from form to function. And here you talked about um, the four spaces that yeah. people interact in. And that comes out of Joseph Myers and a number of other sociological books um, about belonging. And if you can just kind of summarize real quick what the four spaces are and why we get um, why we get in trouble when we try to make small groups be be all be in a space that's not designed for. <laughs> yeah, 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 completely. So the great setup. Uh, so you got your public space, which is plus a hundred. Typically, your worship service. There's a sense of community, but I mean, you're not necessarily going to have transparent conversations, <laughs> right? In, during in the twenty seconds when you say hello, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then you got your social space, which is that twenty to fifty person. Uh, the the easiest parallel in people's minds are before you sit down at a wedding dinner at the reception, everyone's standing up, eating hors d'oeuvres, yeah. talking here and there. So it's this casual environment, but it's kind of large enough that you're not the center of attention uh, and, and when you're new and, and small enough that you're bound to find someone to connect with. So it's, it's a neat space there. And then you have your personal size space, which is 8 to 12, like kind of typical small group. There's transparency, but you're never it's, – it's really hard to get a, to a deep level of transparency and accountability in 8 to 12 people. Yeah. Right? True. That's So then you have the intimate space, which is 1 to 3. Your spouse, you know, your best friend, your accountability group, tryout or whatnot. And those are the places where accountability is strongest. Right? So now here's the thing. In each of those spaces, they all have pluses and sure. minuses, and they and all have. And we need them all. That's benefits. you need to belong in all four spaces. Totally, totally. Now the thing, but the thing is, when you look at what is one space better at doing than the other space, mm-hmm. uh, there is no silver bullet in spaces, <laughs> right? Right. There, there, there really isn't. So, in light of that, uh, when we when we try to make our small groups be the place where everyone is deeply accountable, deeply trusting. They're living all the one another's out, you know, like, and that's our goal. There should be, you should not be surprised when people don't want to invite outsiders and don't want to be missional as a life group. Right. 
because those those are in opposition to each other. Right. Because the moment so you're a working new person against yourself, in, yeah, yeah, the moment a new person comes in, it kills the transparency for a while. Yeah, it does. And it does. Challenges right? it, so yeah. there's so there's this dynamic between, and then some people say, well, then you should have closed groups and then open season and do all that kind of stuff, and and that addresses it as well. But there's just a natural way that individuals, that humans, just operate. Right. So if you don't expect, so if you don't expect our small groups to be in that intimate space, but you expect them to be in that uh, second space. And one time I've heard this in terms of houses, right? And they talk about the kitchen, the foyer. Okay. That's the public space, the foyer, the kitchen. And then what was, I'm missing a room, the living room. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think the kitchen was the 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 most intimate space. No, the most intimate space was the bedroom. And that really was reserved for, for, you know, whatever. But the idea yeah, not was not for the, your small group. No, not for your small. So the idea is, you know, you have one or two people that you're that accountable for. I think when yeah. we set up small groups to be intimate spaces, when they're really much more designed to be social or personal space, yeah, it, it works better. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, what's interesting about the social space, right? Is that so? Think about this now, Carolyn. I know your churches. Uh, you, you guys are pretty large, but there's, you know, if you think about a church, that's a hundred, mm-hmm. right? Or you have a church of 60, for example. Well, you don't really need the social space. Because everyone knows in, everybody, in right? Yeah. Every, the moment your church kind of gets big enough where no, where you don't know everyone, a hundred, 150, 200, that's when churches will typically, well, before then is when they ought to have started small groups. But they right? typically don't look at it until about 200. Yeah. Exactly. But they should have had small groups up until then. And it's great because everyone knows each other, you know, who to connect deeper with and all that stuff. But once you get over, you know, 150, 200 and and you don't know everyone, that's that's when the importance of social spaces enter in, Mm -hmm. because that's that's going to be the key to assimilating newcomers into smaller group environments. Right. And I think, um, and this was your kind of one of your specialties before, um, Mm. was the mid-sized communities and we don't have time to get into that, but, um, it's in your book and you do a great job kind of explaining and laying out how maybe mid-sized community could be um, not a silver bullet, but could be a, um, a tool for connecting between that social space, the personal space, and then kind of using that as a tool. And I've actually done that. um, When we had this conversation four years ago, we've actually turned some of our our classroom environments into mid-sized communities with table groups. um, For that more, for a more uh, personal space. So it kind of made it social and then personal. But I'm not under the illusion that they're going to turn into intimate spaces. I don't want that (laughs) either. But um, but it has been helpful to, to for an entry point that's less intimidating than a small group. So if you're interested... Um, in kind of how that mid-sized community works, he does a Daniel does a great job explaining that, and it's almost a workbook format, kind of walking you through how to develop that, um, and that's been tested and and tried. And you can always ask, connect with Daniel, and ask him for more of his his uh, materials for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally, totally. Love to help anyway. Um, okay. The last shift um, is from maturity to missionary. Um, and typically, this one's interesting. I think the last lobby we did this um, in the small group network. And typically, whenever you're around, or even any of our huddles, when we ask groups, pastors, and point leaders, what area um, do your small groups tend to be weak in? It's almost always evangelism or outreach. 
Um, the no. fellowship is usually higher. I mean, even the five purposes, you know, with the saddleback, even with saddleback, um, Steve has been asked this question repeatedly. And typically those that uh, in vaginalism area and outreach area tends to be the lower of the, the purposes. Um, and which kind of makes sense because it's harder. It requires more intentionality. It's riskier. Yeah. It requires more maturity. Um, so what's a microship we can make in this area that would make our groups more missional? Yeah. So small groups can be missional. They can definitely be missional, but it's incredibly difficult for them to be missional because if your goal is accountability and community and, and depth. Why can't we have it all? <laughs> That's why you need the social space. <laughs> the social space is that place where now, but I have seen small groups and small groups can definitely be missional. It just, it's a lot. It's just not natural. Right. So I think one of the things to take away from this chapter is, you know, how do you, how do you normalize mission? Right. How do you normalize mission? And, you know, what is what is a construct that, you know, what is some sort of tool that you can have? Uh, so, for example, I love the blessed framework that the guys, Community Christian, Dave and John Ferguson came up with. And just the whole idea, you know, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve and story. And that's a framework that, yes, I've preached on. You know, we introduced to our church, actually introduced in Edmonton. And then I preached at my church here because uh, I'm a teaching pastor here as well, and, and really integrating that into every area of our church. But it's not, I mean, it's not like the only way or the only framework, but it's a helpful one, mm-hmm. right? It's not perfect, it's helpful. Uh, but what's really been helpful about this is the more you can normalize this and make this a part of your culture. So, for example, when you share baptism testimonies or when you share stories from the pulpit or life group change stories, right? You just, whatever stories communicate, because we're such a storied people. When you do that, how do you, if you adopt a framework like bless, what if in that you actually begin to talk about, hey, this is our listen story. This mm-hmm. is our eat story. This is our serve story. This is our share story. This is our begin with prayer story. And not only is it coming out in sermon illustrations, but it's coming out in leadership development times. It's talking, it's coming out in small group times and it's just a handle, Hmm. right? So, so, uh, what is, what was it like probably three or four months ago, an 11 year old at our church. So we have, once you hit grade five, you come into our large worship service and you sit through the whole thing. And, uh, uh, so it's, it's neat to see that large age range. And this fifth grader came up and he was like, you know, kids don't really stick their hand out to shake your hand. Right. Uh, (laughs) I'm a mature kid. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But if they do, it's flimsy. Right. It's just like, they don't know how to shake hands. This 11 year old, she's like, Dan, Mr. Daniel, you know, he shook, he just, you know, put his hand out and he shook my hand really firmly. He's like, I just want to praise the Lord for you. Aww, you know, and the, you know what you said about begin with prayer. I'm going to do that. When I wake up in the morning and before school, I'm going to get on my knees wow. and pray that God would give me conversations. Wow. Right? And a couple months later, he, he came back. Right. And he was like, I've been doing it. And these are the conversations, you know, and it's just so cool to see, dude, if an 11 year old can do it, <laughs> we better all, you know, <laughs> be humble enough to do it. Right. That's right? So- but it's just, it's, it wasn't the silver bullet. It was just right. something helpful to make it normal. Yeah, and it kind of touches on a number of other pieces too. We said earlier, if you make the goal, um, where it's the destination, you will evangelize to, you know, five people this year. Yeah. That's probably setting it up for failure. So yeah. if you make that a, um, a process, 
which is more the storytelling is kind of breaking it down and the input piece and normalizing it for the culture, then it makes yeah. it more direct- directional um, yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah completely. It's still hard though. <laughs> I'm thinking it's still, it but, that, but it's good to set the goal. I guess that's the challenge. That's the tension I, I saw you walk through in the book to say, you know, these, these goals and the vision and the output we want. We do want people to be sharing their faith um, with, you know, as many people as possible. So that is a good goal, and we do want that. Um, but then how do you get from here to there? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because several people, several people have come up to me after reading the book, and they're like, okay. I need, they won't post this like publicly online. They'll like send me a direct <laughs> message or Facebook message or email me. Uh, and I mean, I'm on the I'm on the Facebook page, you know, group with with okay. y'all soul. And my email is Daniel at newchurches.com. So any any way I can help, I'd love to. But they'll they'll send me this email and be like, okay. So in light of the book, <laughs> what do I do about? I'm a purpose driven church. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> or Why or that I'm a, a I'm a I'm a simple church. What do I do? You know, is this like. Are you saying you're against them? Are you saying that oh, they're sil- silver bullet? Are you saying you know? And people think it's a, dich- a dichotomy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, yeah. here's the thing: you can do one on one to four one. I don't think one on one to four one is the best way to communicate a process because of adult education reasons. But if you want to stick with one on one to four one, I don't. It's it, I don't really care. Like that's fine. If you on go five purposes, if you on do this, do that, I don't really care. The purpose is what what metrics are you using mm. in that, and is the goal? So that's where the last chapter goes. Is the goal to get people through? Yes, a destination, get through, mm-hmm. or is the goal to develop self feeders? Right. Right. And at the heart of a church's discipleship pathway. Uh, at the heart of the small group ministry, at the heart of everything we do, it's we need to develop self-feeders. Yes. Right? Uh, and the idea of, oops, and the idea of intentionality that yeah. you can't, you don't develop self-feeders just by accident. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. that that requires a high degree of intentionality and an analyzing of what's working, what's not, and what do we want to work towards? What pain are we willing to experience yeah. in that transition from whatever model we're doing or whatever tweaks we're making? Completely. Uh, and, I, and I like that you caution against radical shifts, <laughs> but yeah. rather, I mean, you're calling these micro shifts for a reason, um, but they do have, they can have huge impact. Um, gosh, we're, we're out of time, but I do want to ask you. So, uh, are there any final thoughts now you'd like to share with our listeners? Man, if you, if you, it's micro, right? It's micro. There's no, there's no one silver bullet. So there are churches that can take one of the five shifts and change the way, like we talked about from sage to guide, change the way they do leadership development. Right, you can you can take one of these shifts and and change the way that you kind of view maturity and missionary and you know missions and you can take it and be like, hey, this is what our discipleship pathway looks like. Uh, this is what it looks like to introduce change. So you can take the book a little bit at a time, but really, it's a it's not a it's not a one. You, I mean, as you know, Carolyn, it's not a it's not a vacation. Like it's not a weekend read. No, it's a read. To, <laughs> it took me a, a while. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something you got to process uh, with your team. Yeah, right. It it it's really good. is because yes, you can learn the concepts by yourself, but the only way to implement them is with your team. Right. 
Yeah. That's that's a good word, um, and I that's actually where I landed with it. I thought, oh, I want to read this. You know, of the five, I picked one because it's overwhelming to do all five. I picked one, yeah. um, and I thought this is one good one for us to to work through and maybe change up a little bit in January. And really, you know, whatever movement you take um, will have a ripple effect. And yeah. and I do like um, it's your pastoral tone comes through very clearly. You're not um, haranguing or you know being being harsh with people um, at all. You're very balanced. <laughs> with it and I, I'm a picky reader so the fact that I actually like the book and that I um, I, I think it's really valuable um, and I like how you break it down you have questions that, that make you think um, stuff to work through with your team and and just it's kind of like a walk alongside you as you do this sort of thing um, but mm-hmm. it is meaty uh, definitely a meaty book. Um, so it, I think people need to give themselves time to process it, maybe do a little bit, bit at a time. But thank you so much for writing it, for your heart that's in it and the tone. And I think it's incredibly valuable. Um, so you can interact with Daniel. Um, his website's danielm.com. And he's also on our Facebook um, group page. So feel free to ask him questions there. Um, or you can make your confessions about what model you're doing and, um, <laughs> and how that goes. Um, again, no silver bullet. So um, you're not going to get the answer, but you'll get the next step in the process. Um, so thank you so much for your time, Daniel. God bless you and your ministry. Thanks. Well, and thank you for listening to Group Talk. If you like what you hear, we ask you to leave us a rating on iTunes because that'll help other small group ministry leaders find us. And so we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.